0: So mid-caps have historically been a really nice group of companies in terms of risk-reward. They have above-average risk-adjusted returns compared to both small and large
1: caps. This is 401k Specialist Editor-in-Chief Brian Anderson, and this is the 401k Specialist Podcast. Our topic this week is why mid-caps as an asset class might belong in a properly diversified defined contribution plan investment menu, and what some of the current headwinds and opportunities are right now within the mid-cap asset class. We're going to dive right into this right after this brief message. Participants today view retirement differently, driven by their personal experiences, goals, and financial resources. With only 22% confident they can develop an income strategy to turn their savings into income, Invesco's in-depth retirement income research further solidified that every employee's situation is unique, with no clear-cut behaviors across generations, income levels, and or gender. To learn more, visit Invesco.com backslash retirement income. Our guest today has plenty to say on the subject of MidCaps as an Asset Class including an observation that uh, markets have rarely been as top-heavy as they are right now, with most people probably not being aware of just how overly exposed they are to just a handful of the biggest companies. Joining us is Invesco's Justin Livengood, CFA, who is the Senior Portfolio manager for the company's Mid-Cap Growth and Healthcare Strategies, and Senior Research Analyst for the Discovery and Capital Appreciation Strategies, where he covers the healthcare, financial services, and real estate sectors. Thanks for joining us on the 401k Specialist Podcast, Justin. Thanks for having me, Brian. All right. Well, let's start out. uh, Can you start out by just giving us kind of a high-level summary of what uh, Team Discovery does and, and what your process is?
0: Sure. The The Discovery uh, Growth Team here at Invesco has been together for over 20 years, and we've uh, refined an investment process that focuses on premier growth companies. Those are the companies that have uh, durable, secular growth characteristics um, run by terrific management teams that we've gotten to know uh, over a long period of time. These are companies with high barriers to entry um, that help them Manage through com- competition, help them um, deal uh, with with rising inflation. They have pricing power. Um, these are leaders in their industries and have the these are the kinds of companies that compound value um, for their shareholders over significant periods of time. We we wrap a risk management process around a portfolio of these types of companies. Given that we're in a growth style box that inherently has volatility, and we've spent a lot of time thoughtfully building that risk management um, uh, and and sell discipline uh, process uh, to help us um, protect on the downside and sort of smooth the ride out for our our investment performance, Um, we've managed a small cap strategy uh, for over 20 years. Uh, As a team, we've we've been a mid cap manager for 13 years, and then we've managed. Uh, large cap strategies for about two and a half years. And and one other interesting thing about our investment process is having those three strategies together all managed with the same process allows us to effectively bring up or funnel up our best ideas from small to mid and then mid to large um, as those companies, the premier companies, are emerging into the next style box. So we are often able to get a head start on the next great mid cap, or even frankly, the next great large cap um, because of our experience up and down that cap range. So our team has a lot of tenure. Our team is very focused on risk management and downside protection. And we have this ability to uh, sort of get an early start on great names, especially in the in the middle of that funnel in the, the mid cap style box.
1: Interesting. All right, great. Um so now, why are why are mid-caps an incrementally good way to help retirement plan participants achieve an optimum optimal level of di- diversification? Sure. So mid-caps have historically
0: been a really nice um, uh, group of companies in terms of risk-reward. They have above-average risk-adjusted returns compared to both small and large caps. And it, it kind of makes sense when you step back and think about it. Uh, in this respect, small cap companies typically can grow a little faster, but, but mid cap companies can largely still keep up with, with their small cap brother in terms of growth. Um, they're at a point in their, their business models and their life cycles where their products are becoming more established um, and they're, they're able to generate a little bit more profitability, a little more operating leverage. Uh, and in doing so, that also allows these mid cap companies typically to be a little more stable and have a little less risk. Um, and so that's why compared to large caps, you you still have a, a nice uh profile in terms of of, of risk uh in the mid cap style box, but you still get the benefit of some of that growth. The the market cap we're talking about here in mid caps is roughly 10 billion to 40 billion. And it's it's in that that size range where you really get to see value inflecting. For companies again, as they've they've kind of worked through their early growing pains at the beginning of their life cycle. They've become a little less risky. They've still got a decent amount of, of revenue and earnings growth potential, um, and they're they're really in the sweet spot of their execution. Um, it, it's a it's a, a really nice spot to pick up great leading companies um, and and generate a lot of like I said, good risk adjusted return. Um, interestingly though investors are, are typically pretty under allocated to this style box. A lot of people often say, well, I've got you know, some exposure uh, to large caps. And I have some exposure to small caps. And so that kind of gives me enough of what I need in the middle. Well, in fact, um, the the markets are at the moment such that, and this has been true to varying degrees for quite some time, that the the meat cap Universe Again, that ten billion to $40 billion range of, of companies is not well represented in the S&P 500 or in the Russell 2000, two very common benchmarks. And so people are actually quite underexposed um, to this really nice you know r- profile of, of companies uh, with these great risk adjusted returns over history. Um, and it's even a little more true right now, as you alluded to in your intro, uh, given what's gone on in the last few quarters and even a couple of years, large caps have really outperformed, particularly some of the largest large caps. And in fact, today, uh, 24% of the S&P 500 is in five companies. Over 30% of the S&P 500 is in 10. So we have a particularly top-heavy market. So only 20 percent of the, the market cap in the S&P 500 fits in that 10 to 40 billion dollar range that's defined as mid cap. That's an unusually low uh, amount of exposure to mid caps. And so we think that that's opportunity for people, um, but something that people should be, you know, plan sponsors and participants should be aware of uh, in terms of perhaps a little bit of a blind spot. You're You're Typically not exposed to that market cap, anyways, and in recent quarters and years, even become a little bit less so as companies like Apple and Nvidia and Amazon have sort of dominated the the headlines and the performance in the broad market.
1: Interesting. All right, um, now let's jump into a little bit about uh, why active versus passive, uh, or more specifically. Um, What plan sponsors should be looking for in managing their selection? And why is active management preferable to passive in this case? I imagine this is something you probably run into fairly regularly. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Um, You know, there's a lot of opportunity in both small and mid cap to add value. Uh, And that's the first thing I'd say is these are inefficient, fragmented parts of the market and, um, you know, mid-cap absolutely still has a lot of inefficiency that it can capitalize on in general. Um, the second thing, though, I'd highlight about active versus passive is the volatility in the markets is creating additional opportunity. Um, and in the last two to three years have especially made this point. Uh, we've gone through essentially three market cycles since the beginning of the COVID pandemic in 2020. And that's a much much more compressed set of market cycles than you're used to seeing over the past few decades, and and what that has the effect of doing is <clears throat> creating opportunity for active managers who can capitalize on on all the the, the changes that are happening as, as markets and central banks and other things are you know are, are pivoting left and right quickly, um, but but benchmarks and indices are not making those kinds of, of adjustments. In real time. In fact, most benchmarks are only being updated on an annual basis. And when there's a lot of volatility, you can get a lot of distortion. I'll give you a a real-time example that's playing out um, as we speak. And in June of this year, in just a few weeks from the time of this podcast, uh, the Russell uh, indices are going to be rebalanced as they are every year. And in the mid-cap universe, the the Russell mid-cap growth benchmark that we are uh, always paying attention to, uh, you're going to see tremendous changes this year to sector weightings in their annual rebalance. For example, the healthcare sector is going to increase in the Russell Midcap Growth benchmark by 600 basis points next month, and the technology sector is going to decline by almost 500 basis points. Other sectors are going to move around by lesser amounts, but still in some cases hundreds of basis points. So what that reflects is an accumulation of, of things that have been going on for the past 12 months since the last time the index was rebalanced. But but the the bench only now kind of makes one recut of all those changes and then moves forward. So it's really a trend following animal, in a way, right? The the, the benchmark isn't able to dynamically uh, reallocate. Uh, to To what's going on in the markets as it's happening through the course of a year five six hundred basis point moves in a, in, a, in sectors like technology and healthcare are massive and wouldn't participants want to be able? To In the case of healthcare, if healthcare is becoming a bigger part of the benchmark, be more exposed to healthcare earlier in the year when there were compelling reasons to to own healthcare, as opposed to now when the benchmark is sort of belatedly acknowledging those changes and rebalancing in its one shot per year um, uh, of, of a rebalance. So the volatility in the markets naturally, and particularly in the last few years, creates opportunity against these static benchmarks and, and that's what we as active managers are, I think, uh, really help effectively able to, to pursue and, and take advantage of, um, and add a lot, add a lot of value. So again, I'd say there's just generally inefficiency in the small and mid parts of the market. Number one. And number two, there's volatility that active managers can, can use that benchmarks don't have. Um, and, and it's just sort of a structural impediment to the passive
1: strategy. All right. Great. You're making some great points here. Uh, before we wrap up, I'd like you to can you talk a little bit about uh, the environment right now? Um, what's going on in the macro and uh, what uh, what do you think about the near term outlook? Sure. So th-
0: this is still a challenged environment economically um, and the equity markets are struggling with how to to reconcile that. We've been going through lots of recent, you know, fits and starts where the market's are hopeful that we're getting close to the turn uh, in the economy and and, and maybe we're not going to have a severe recession. And then reality sort of pulls the equity markets back down. My view and our our team's view is, in fact, that it's going to be a period of higher inflation and higher interest rates for a while, you know, higher for longer. Uh, And as a result, uh, economic growth is going to be below trend. I'm not sure if that means we're going fully into a recession or not, but I'm Our view is absolutely that we're going to have very little economic growth um, for a while. Uh, And that's also going to be evident outside the United States. We're seeing places like China um, mightily struggle right now um, economically. And so, you know, that creates a, a difficult backdrop for equities in the short run, though I'm not terribly bearish because the markets, I think, are partly discounting this. But I think it's an interesting backdrop for growth companies, particularly the kinds of companies that we're focused on, who are able to, because of the nature of their businesses, being secular growth companies, have product cycles and opportunities that are not dependent on the broader economy. They can kind of power through uh, in difficult environments like this. Um, so I think that while it's, you know, again, going to be a a mixed p- period of time here still for, for the balance of 2023 and perhaps beyond as the Fed tries to um, slowly battle inflation back down towards historical levels and leaves rates higher than than we've been used to seeing for quite some time I think secular growth companies premier growth companies are going to do well and one other thing I'd highlight um, about the current environment is you know growth companies a couple years ago after a great run through the prior decade and then sort of a final, uh, burst of outperformance during the pandemic had reached pretty expensive levels relative to value and relative to the overall market. Well, last year, maybe last 18 months or so, that has largely corrected itself such that growth and value are much more uh, uh, evenly valued. Their, their, their growth is back towards equilibrium on a relative valuation basis. And so going forward, I think you have a much healthier foundation for growth companies to, to perform. Um, again, they're, they're not particularly expensive as their fundamentals are starting to come back around in favor on a relative basis compared to, you know, more cyclical value type companies that had a really good year in 2022. But if in fact the economy is going to stay challenged for a bit here, uh, going forward, it's those value and cyclical type companies that could be more vulnerable. So, uh, I just think that's, uh, an interesting, uh, consideration to think about as far as growth. And then the other thing I would highlight in terms of small mid-cap is small and mid-cap, particularly small cap, frankly, have underperformed large for six consecutive years and eight of the last nine years. So large has been doing really well. And that's also reflected in my earlier comment about how top heavy the the indices have become, the S&P 500. So we are absolutely at a point where valuations for small and mid-sized companies are compelling. And, and I think that, that there's going to be a, a nice opportunity for for investors and, and plans and their participants over the next few years to see some of that normalize. So even after we get past this next economic slowdown, uh, you know, I think small and mid-cap companies are well-positioned relative to large to sort of make up some of this multi-year period of underperformance just to get back to kind of you know more normal relationships in terms of how the the different asset classes uh, are are performing against each other. So, hopefully, that's a little little bit of color on on the outlook and, and how we, we are viewing things.
1: You bet. Uh, you've given us a lot to think about here today. Uh, all right, Justin, live and good. Thanks for sharing uh, sharing your perspective on mid caps with us today on the 401 K Specialist Podcast.
0: Thanks.